You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and the Athletic TO's James Myrtle. James, it's uh, 2017. Uh, it's our first podcast, I think, in 2017. So I want to start, we're going to do predictions today. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk to you about the obvious subject right now, not Frankie Corrado, but Austin Matthews. Uh, I think there's a few of us, like amongst our media core in Toronto, that seem to understand just how crazy what he's doing is. And then I also get the sense that there is a contingent that doesn't seem to realize like how ridiculous the pace he's on is. Does that make sense? Have you felt that way at all, that maybe it's not quite realized, which is usually the opposite in Toronto, how good he's been so far uh, as a 19-year-old? Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I don't know, like you, we were at the Centennial Classic and you're talking to people and people are kind of kind of treating it like he's on a hot streak or, you know, there's there's been a debate that's been going on along, you know, who's better? Is it Nylander, Marner or Matthews? And it's like the last, like, I think all season. I mean, I've been saying that Matthews is the best, but like the last like five or six weeks, it's like, it's not even close. Like he's, the way that he's playing is... And I don't, I mean, obviously it is a hot streak. He's got 14 goals in 17 games. He's probably not going to sustain that. But he looks like he can be a two-way center that scores 50 goals. That He looks like I can't, I'm trying hard to think of who to compare him to if, like, if what we're seeing right now is what he ends up being. It's, It's almost like a Malkin or something like that. I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but... You're right. I don't, and I don't know if the fan base, the fan base is starting to get there. I mean, I think the 14 goals in 17 games is that some of the overhyping is starting to come. And but it's pretty hard to overhype this guy if he's one of the best players in the league. I think that's the the key part. Is like right now, and you had a piece on. Actually, it wasn't your piece. I think it was Dom's piece. Do I have that right? Uh, on the Athletic uh, about you know who's the team's MVP. Um. He's already like one of the 25, 30 best centers in the league. Um, I think part of it is like Toronto typically does a good job, and it's just because there's so many people and there's so many fans of players getting inflated to what they're not. Like there was this talk obviously for so long about Kadri. He's going to be a number one center, blah, blah, blah. That was never like a realistic expectation. So when he didn't meet this expectation that wasn't reasonable, people made stories and it was all on talk radio and that kind of thing. But I think with Matthews, it's like they, there's almost this perception that he is just a really good rookie and he's having a good year. And, but like, he is like in a class, he's pushing himself into like the McDavid class. He's 19. Like this is, this isn't done. Like I did a story uh, earlier this week, just kind of, and you've done stories along the same lines, just looking at where this ranks. If he keeps up historically, this could be one of the best seasons in NHL history for a rookie. Uh, like he's 19. This doesn't happen. I think like the guy I, when you were talking about like two way centers who can score, like Taves I think had 30 plus goals for like three straight years, but he's a way better scorer than Taves. Like he's way more dynamic than Taves. Obviously Taves is like going to be a Hall of Famer, but I don't know who else does he kind of like. Kopitar's been the guy, but like Kopitar's not this. There isn't. Uh, you talked about this I think on the last podcast. There isn't this. There isn't. We don't know. A 50 goal scoring center who's good at both ends, who's big and strong and fast. 
Not really. I mean, Crosby had 50 goals. I think he only had it at once. Yeah. And maybe he'll do it this year without. I mean, he's having an incredible year. It It's it's such a weird thing that I, I wonder if, like, if Matthews would have played Major Junior this past year and, like, put up 40 more points than everybody else, then maybe the conversation changes. I, I think it's because of where he played. I think that he was on that national team development program, which he was injured the first year. He only played, he didn't play a lot of games. And then, but it was, you know, we've talked about this before, but like when I did the big profile of him and I called like 20 people, some of the people, like some of the most knowledgeable hockey people that I talked to for that story, like Don Granato, his coach with the National Team Development Program, he told me he thinks, I can't remember if he said he thinks he's going to be the best American player ever, but he's, he was putting him in that class that he could be the best American player ever. And you hear that a few weeks before the draft. And there's this debate over whether it's going to be Line A or Matthews. And you kind of think, oh, this guy just really likes Matthews. He's a really good player. He probably should be number one. And he's just kind of like going a step further. Because I don't know Don Granato super well. I think he was actually just legitimately, like all the superlatives he was giving me were actually what he thought. Were actually reality. And Mark Crawford said some of the same things. And I thought, oh, Mark Crawford just really likes this kid. He was going on and on about how much how good the family is and all this. And I think, oh, maybe Mark Crawford's just like... He wants this to be like a big story about why Matthews should be number one. So he's saying all these nice things. Like Mark Crawford was saying he's better than Kopitar. You know, he's got more, he's more dynamic. He's got more elements to his game. And then you watch and it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. And it's just some of the things Crawford said about the way he handles the puck and all this stuff. And he was comparing him to, he, like he said, he, he plays like Kopitar in terms of how big he is, but he shoots like Sackick, but he's like Jamie Ben because he goes to the net with the puck. And I was like, I put that out there. I think that quote, like, after the draft and people were like we're all like making fun of it and it's like no that's that's kind of like what's happening it's funny you mentioned like his background because um a couple things obviously you did a really good story at the draft about kind of where he came from how he grew up but it would be interesting to think of like what would have happened if he did all like his minor hockey in toronto and people knew he was gonna be like like mcdavid like they knew for a while that he was gonna be something uh, I talked to Dylan Larkin, who played with him at that the national team program, and he said they saw him when he was 15, the 17-year-olds. They didn't know who he was. He's from Arizona. Like They're just like, who is this kid? And then they, they looked, and they're like, oh my God, he's from Arizona, the Arizona Bobcats. Like, what is this? And I think you're right. Like If he had spent his his life in Toronto, and he played minor hockey, and people knew for a while, like you just wrote a piece about this, you know, that people didn't seem to grasp how good he could be and i think i think you've hit the nail on the head it's the background not only that but the people in arizona in hockey like talking to all the coaches there and i talked to coaches that weren't his coach like people that knew arizona hockey and had been there for a long time they didn't know like the thing is is that i think the other thing that's really interesting with matthews too is that he wasn't this good he wasn't on this trajectory until very recently like when he went to the national team development program they they saw how talented he was but he kind of just went into a new stratosphere when he was there. And he started to get more ice time every day and elite coaching. And he started to get some things he had never had before. And that's that's when Don Granato... Don Granato was like, this guy is... <clears throat> I want to use this in a piece coming up, but I'll say it on the podcast because you guys you guys get all the... Don Granato said he's he was a maniac. Like, he was like... He wanted as much information about hockey as possible. He wanted to learn and... So I think putting him together with Mike Babcock is probably the perfect fit because I think they're both maniacs for hockey. Well, so you brought up Babcock, and, and Babcock said uh, it was either before or after the winter, not the winter classic, the Centennial Classic. He said 
Uh, he wants to be great. And like coaches say stuff all the time, but like you actually get the sense that that's true. But that brings me, before we get to the predictions, one other thing I want to touch on is I think it's so interesting how they've been using him the last few weeks, and especially like it's a little more difficult when they were on the road. But you saw it in the Centennial Classic. He chose to match him against Zetterberg. We saw this a bit before they left on the road trip. There's no more of this cadre against top lines. That is now gone. And you you and I both wondered when that was going to happen. It's happened. He is now matching him against top lines. He said, you know, before the Centennial Classics, like, I don't need to protect him anymore. You look at the offensive zone starts in that game. He was like 17%. What do you make of this happening now? Did you expect it this soon? This is part of why the Leafs are winning. It's part of why the Leafs are winning. It's part of why their possession numbers are so much better. It's part of... There are two things that I think that have made the biggest impact on their underlying results. Well, I mean, three things. I mean, one of the things is they haven't played a lot of good teams. I mean, let's face it, Detroit's not a very good team. And a lot of the teams they've been beating, like Colorado and Arizona, and those aren't good teams. But if we take that out of the equation, I mean, they should be beating up on the bad teams if they're going to be a playoff team, which it looks like... I mean, they might be a playoff team. And people are saying the they're really smart nerdy i can say nerdy and it, i'm in their group but like the really smart guys are saying the leafs have a between a 50 and a 70 percent chance of making the playoffs right now the reason that the two things that have changed are matthews is taking on the tough minutes and still producing good possession results in those tough minutes and roman polak and hunwick are playing way fewer minutes the fourth line is playing way fewer minutes mike babcock talked about this at practice yesterday um without Ben Smith, whatever for whatever reason, he feels much less confident in using the fourth line. You look at Matt Martin's minutes. I've been meaning to write about this, but I haven't. Matt Martin's minutes are like he's playing like four or five, six minutes a game. That fourth line is not good. Their third D pairing is not good. Babcock has been dialing them way down. He's been dialing uh, Gardner way up. Gardner's playing 22, 23, 24 minutes some games. Uh, Matthews has been dialed up. Bozak line has been dialed down. You add all those things up, they're playing their best players a lot more and their crappier players, uh, maybe that's the wrong word, their veteran grit players less. And I think that's what's happening. To answer your question, I'm I'm a bit surprised that they made that switch so fast because Matthews kind of went from the third line center to the first line center in the span of a week or something. But that's what they should do. I think we were talking in early in the year that this is what they should do. Like, I think like he can handle it. Even playing with Brown and Hyman, it, and they're all learning together, it doesn't matter. He can do it. Well, part of it, I think, is he's humongous. Like, he is, like he's 6'3", 216. Like, when you brought up Crosby, I was just thinking, like, he's way bigger than Crosby. Like, that's why it's, like, hard to find, like, a proper comparable because there there aren't. He looks, he looks a bit like Mario Lemieux to me, just in terms of his size – Mario was one of my favorite players to watch when I was, I'm trying to think what his heyday was, like 91 to when he started to really have the injury problems, 91 to 2000 or something like that. He was one of my favorite players to watch. He was just such a beautiful hockey player. And one of the reasons, I'm not saying that Austin Matthews is going to be Mario Lemieux. No one, no one, I just say because of the size, because Mario was 6'5", and you see Mario now when you go to a Penguins game and he gets in the elevator or he's in the press box, he's a big dude he's a big guy um 6'5 220 something like that um but the other thing too is that Mario didn't hit anybody he was not a physical big man and Matthews doesn't hit anybody he's got like seven hits or something all season he this is what Mario did too he would kind of 
go into the puck battle and not push anyone or hit anyone. He would like use body positioning and his stick to get the puck back. And Mario was so talented with the puck as it was very, very difficult for people to get away from him. He would be able to think or stick handle just around guys. And I think we're seeing some of that with Matthews. Well, and part of it is he's like, I, I, it was always like a saying around the draft is the guy could, what's the, he has a puck on a string. Like it almost actually seems that way with Matthew sometimes just how crazy he can handle the puck. Like I, it's interesting that right now there's almost like two prototypes that we haven't seen. Like McDavid, we haven't seen anyone with that burst and Matthews like is unusual too. Like we just don't see guys like that, but let's get to the predictions because he is a part of those, a couple of them. So let's start with Matthews. I got two on Matthews. Uh, so this is your prediction, and then I'll give my prediction. Matthews will lead the Leafs in scoring. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I see, it looks, I'm thinking like 38 to 42 goals and 70 points. I mean, but the other thing we haven't talked about with Matthews and that a lot of people haven't talked about is that he's not getting a lot of assists, and that's not, I don't think that's on him. I think that that's guys like Hyman and that. I mean, Hyman's like a, his shooting percentage, I think, is like 7% or something like that. I mean, he's there are opportunities dying on the sticks of some of the guys he's playing with. Matthews has been on the ice. A third of his ice time has been on the ice with Polak and Hunwick as the defenseman. I mean, there's the shooting percentages are going to be low when you're on the ice with players like that. So he's not going to get a lot of assists unless you put him in those positions. And the other thing is that he's shooting a lot of the time because he's in the best position and his teammates aren't in the best position. So... I think Matthew's point totals could be a lot higher if you played him with different players. That's interesting. It's just that you and I both, I think we both guessed at the beginning of the year that it would be Van Riemsdyk. And right now, and we're recording this on Tuesday ahead of their game against Washington, uh, it's Matthews 1, Marner 2, and I believe Van Riemsdyk 3, Nylander 4. Um, so I, I would agree. Like, I think he's going to, I think he'll hit 70 points. I was trying to think of like what he's going to get goal-wise uh, because he's not... I don't believe he's going to hit 45 or 46, which is what he's on pace for. Uh, but his shooting percentage isn't crazy. He's on pace for like a historic number of shots for a rookie. Uh, like only three guys in, in history have ever had that many shots in their rookie year. Uh, so we both agree. So this is gets, gets, gets me to the next one. We both kind of touch on it. Matthews will hit 40 goals. And I'm going to say, oh man, I think he'll probably get like 39-40. I don't think he's going to top 40 goals, but man, I don't know. Like he only has, I think three on the power play so far. So maybe there's opportunity there. The thing is he's getting better too. I think he's getting better. He's getting more comfortable. Well, I mean, obviously he had four goals in the first game, but that lull there, he looked kind of invisible. And I think he's able to, to what's the right turn of phrase, exert his will on the game a little bit more now and be more of a factor. Um, and that's what Babcock said was going to happen is that as, as Matthews learned the defensive side of the game, he would have the puck more and then he would get more opportunities. Um, I just ran the numbers. So 20 goals in 36 games, that's on pace for 46 goals in a season. You bring up his shooting percentage, which is interesting. It's, we don't know how good his shooting percentage is going to be. I think it's at 15 right now, which is really high. You know, Stamkos is a 17, 17 and a half percent shooter. That's the highest in the NHL. Second is Crosby. I think he's at about 15. I, I mean, in terms of the last five or six seasons when shooting percentages are, are quite low and goalies have been so good. Uh, and there's no real, no one really else in that 15% range. It's Stamkos, then Crosby, and then there's a bunch of guys that are 14 or 13 that are really, really good shooters. 
I kind of think Matthews can be a 15% guy, which is where he is right now. So it might not be that inflated. I think he can be that guy because he shoots so well, but also he's always in tight around the net. And I think that we talked about his size and his skating. Teams are going to have a really hard time, especially without the obstruction rules anymore. I mean, what do you do with the guy? I think, I don't know. And the thing too is in the NHL, the trend has been for smaller and smaller defensemen. So like if teams are using these small skilled defensemen and you've got a guy like this going to the front of the net... I haven't seen anyone try and take a big run at Matthews or like try and, you know, hurt him. Not that they would hurt him, but you know what I mean? Like try and really get in his face and get him off his game. It's, I, I, I'm i actually a bit surprised. I just wonder if some lesser talented teams are going to try and bully him a little bit. But that's part of like when he's 6'3", 216, like he's not small. Like he, it's not easy just to run him if you wanted to, right? Like he's, he's a big guy. Um, but what? Remember Luke Shen? Luke Shen had that hit from behind on him and like kind of like that that was the only example this year that stands out where something happened where and Matthews really didn't go back after him at all like I don't know if Matthews has he's never he's probably never fought before I think he's a pretty I was gonna say he's a docile guy but like that's just from just I don't know I don't see that. I don't see him as like a really like, he's super, super hyper competitive. Like we're talking about a maniac and wants to win and all that stuff. I don't know that he wants to like beat guys faces in like Wendell Clark. We saw uh, Cromwell take a a pretty good run at him in the winter. I keep calling it the winter classic, the outdoor game, but he didn't like run through him. He just kind of stood him up in the slot. But I just think the amount of shots he's going to put up, I don't think 15% is crazy. Like, I think uh, Crosby's highest when he had 42, I think, in or 41 in like 50 some odd games, he was shooting like 20%. It's like, it's high, but it's not crazy. Like the guy, I don't know. Like, I, I guess the point that I was trying to make is it's not like he's shooting 27%. Like Crosby right now is shooting well over 20%. That's going to come down at some point. He can still score at a, a good rate, but I don't know. Okay, so if we think that Matthews can continue to generate a lot of shots, which I think is reasonable, I mean, that's typically a sustainable talent. I put in if he has 3.6 shots per game over 82 games, which is a little bit less, I think, than what he has right now. If he does that and he has a 15% shooting percentage, that's 44 goals. So if we're saying he's not going to get 40 goals, that means one of those things is going to fall apart. I mean, I almost think he'd have to be unlucky to be lower than 14% shooting. 14% shooting would be... uh, 41 goals. I think he's going to have 40 goals. Okay. Well, I said like 39, 40. So you're going to say 41, 42? Sure. Okay. Well, let's. we've talked for, what is this, like nine, almost 19 minutes about Matthews. There are other players on the team. So let's get to one of the other guys. You didn't mention this when you're talking about like what's really helped this run. This is a big factor. Uh, is Frederick Anderson having like a 940 save percentage for since like the start of November. Um, so the question for you is, uh, prediction, Frederick Anderson will finish in the top 10 in the NHL in save percentage. I have no idea. I, I Honestly, I don't. Like, predicting a goalie is like, he has been so good. I mean, I'm going to say probably not, just based on his career trajectory. He's had some lulls. In Anaheim, they weren't sure if he could be like a 60-game guy. We haven't seen that yet. He's played a lot, though. I mean, I've been surprised how much they've played him. It's because there's no confidence at all in the backups. Even Bebo, even though Bebo's looked okay. 
mean, Bebo's struggled in the AHL. I think they know if they try and go too much to Bebo that it's going to create some problems. But maybe he can be a guy that can get them a win against a weaker team every once in a while. Not that not that Tampa was a weak team where he got his win, but Anderson's career save percentage coming into this year was, I believe, nine eighteen. Um, I will buy that he is still a somewhat young goalie that's developing and learning and getting better. You know, I think that if this year he comes in at nine twenty two to nine twenty four, that probably puts him about tenth. I would say probably. Well, at one point this year, uh, Ray Ferraro in the press room, we were like debating. It was, I think, it was around when he was struggling, and we were debating like how many goalies are better than him. Like we can say definitively, and we landed like he was in between twelve and fifteen, somewhere in that bracket, like in the Gibson kind of area. So let's count off some goalies, okay? One Holpe, uh, two Price, three Dubnik. Uh, I don't know. Pull up this the save percentage leaders. Like I don't. I I'm not sure. I don't know, like how many guys are going to be better than him at the end of the year? I'm sure Jones is in there. You're taking too long to pull it up. Okay, well, I'll just look it up and let's. You tell me if you think he's going to be higher than these guys because, like, there's a precedent. Like you said, his save percentage coming in is like nine eighteen ish. Um, so hang on. He's also playing a lot. Like that's a really important point, and, and we don't know how he's going to respond to continuing to play this many games. Like I think he's on pace for almost more than 60 starts, which is way more than he's done before. I think his career high is like 50-something. So tell me, so Bobrovsky is in there. I don't know that he's going to, Bobrovsky's been really hot. Tuka Rask is in there. Corey Crawford's in there. Uh, Matt Murray's in there. Right now, he's ninth. Does that help you? I say no. I think he'll probably be around 10 to 12. That's my prediction. Do you want to change your answer, final answer? You're looking at numbers. I'm just talking here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is where James just looks up stats the whole time and then no I wanted to look at the last three years Carey Price number one Devin Dubnik is now number two including this season because he's been so good Corey Crawford is number three uh, Braden Holtby Roberto Luongo who has been absolutely unbelievable Tuka Rask Corey Schneider who I really really like Henrik Lundqvist uh, then there's Cal- Cam Talbot who has been surprisingly good for Edmonton Craig Anderson Ben Bishop, who another goalie I really like. Sergei Bobrovsky, who is a bit streaky, but if when he figures it out, can be amazing, and he won a Vesna trophy. Then we get to Frederick Anderson. So how many is that? That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteenth. That's where it makes sense to project Anderson right now. But if he plays the way he has the last two months, he's going to climb that list. He's going to climb over some guys like, I mean, obviously like Craig Anderson. I think he's probably better than Craig Anderson. You know, he's in, I mean, Luongo has been okay this year, but I can see him passing some of these guys. And then after Anderson, there's kind of a divide because after Anderson, then we're into Brian Elliott. He's better than that. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, Steve Mason, Jonathan Quick, Martin Jones. That's kind of his group, right? That's that's uh, John Gibson, Morazic. Reimer, okay, then then now we're getting into guys that are clearly weaker than him. So at the very least, the Leafs, it seems like they have a goalie who's relatively young. Was he 27, 28? Five-year deal, $5 million a year. That puts him about 18th to 20th in terms of uh, salary for goalies, and he's outperforming that. So I don't have any problem with anything that's happened with him so far. Well, so all they really needed to happen was for him to be a top 15 goalie. 
basically, and you'd get value. Anyway, we need to move on to the next one. And this will actually tie into the next prediction. The Leafs will have more than one all-star. I think we both agree that they will have, I think we know who the one at least will be. The question is, is there going to be more? Um, So let me give you some potential candidates. There's Anderson. There's maybe Marner. Maybe Van Riemsdyk. Maybe Riley or Gardner. I'm going to say they will because I think Anderson will probably get in. Um, What do you think? I was going to say Marner, and then they like that story of having the two young Leafs guys, but I'd have to look around the league at... I mean, it's hard to be an all-star. It's hard to have more than one, too, but... I mean, the, the Leafs had Fanuf and Lupo there one year, right? I mean, yes. yeah, so they had three on that team, and that was a clearly inferior team. I wonder if the league gets on board with the idea that this is a real fun, great story for the NHL, that they've got this rising young team and, and puts Marner and Matthews there. And those two guys are close. You know, it could be uh, it could be a really—and they'll, they'll get a lot of attention in Canada if both those guys are there. I'm almost thinking that I need to travel and go to the All-Star game. I don't know if you're going, but I'm, fe- I'm feeling like I should be there— especially if they name two guys. Maybe if they name, it's in LA, right? So a bit of a hike, but maybe I'll look into going. I will be there, so I hope you can join. <laughs> I don't think, I, I, I do think they'll have more than one. I don't know if it's Anderson or Marner. Like, I agree with you. I think that'd be a fun story. So let's get to the next one. Actually, I have it in a different order, but I'm going to leave this one to the last. Uh, so we're going to do like a trade combo. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk will be traded prediction. Tyler Bozak will be traded. And I guess in terms of the prediction, it's before the trade deadline. My sense right now is that it's going to, if they're going to trade one of those guys, it'll be in the off season. So it kind of seems like they're not saying this. This is my intuition. They value the idea of keeping this group together and seeing what they can do. That's what they value. And I think it's going to take a trade that, that is, I mean, they're not in danger with the expansion draft with either one of those guys. Trading them in the summer, they're probably not going to lose a ton of value between the trade deadline and trading them in the summer. So that's that's my reasoning. I think they're going to try and keep this group mostly together and try and make the playoffs with it and see what they can do. Well, the thing is, like, if you're trading, let's say, Van Riemsdyk, you're presumably trading him to a team that's trying to win, like that, that wants to add him as a piece. And that team also presumably is not going to give you what you probably need, which is like a young up-and-coming defenseman who can play in a top four. So it doesn't seem to make sense. And then, like you pointed out, it it's not the worst thing for them to keep them and just see what happens. Like, th- there's no downside to trying to, getting, trying to get into the playoffs and just keeping your team together. Because if you take these guys off, your team is worse and your chances are worse. But I think that's different from, like, what we used to see with these teams in Toronto is they would try to, like, go for the playoffs it's different because this is kind of organic like they, they just have this team that's full of good young players and Pozak and Van Riemsdyk are kind of like complimentary guys so I agree with you I say no I don't think they will hurt their roster right now in terms of a trade with something that they probably can't get what they're looking for which wasn't a good sentence but still yeah the only caveat is if there's something there that makes sense then you do it if there's something that's going to they're not going to win the cup this year. So if you can get something that makes you better in 2018 and 2019 by trading one of those guys, then we talked about this a bit, right? The Minnesota thing. Like I wonder the trade that might make sense is something like JVR for Matt Dumba. If Minnesota's moving one of those guys, but then you, I mean, you'd really have to evaluate how good Dumba's going to be. Is he going to be a top four guy? Is that, 
I mean, I th- I think the Leafs should hold out until they can get an elite right shot defenseman, and they're not gonna. That's not gonna happen with one of those guys. Well, I was talking uh, with our buddy Chris Johnson about this today, and we were like, just I just brought up like Taylor Hall, and I think you might have mentioned this. Taylor Hall got you Adam Larson. Adam Larson's fine, but like you're not getting Taylor Hall's better than James Van Reeves. Like he's younger, he's on a, like he's better. Adam Larson's good, but like he's not. A, would you consider him elite? So you're not getting that guy. Like that guy is not coming in in a trade for Van Riemsdyk. So I think you you and I both agree. Let's get to the the one that I push back. The prediction: the Leafs will make the playoffs. I'm going to say yes with a certainty of fifty two and a half percent. Like it's it's kind of like yes, but like barely yes. I do, it's. You look at their division, and I don't like a lot of the teams in their division. I don't. There's nobody there who I think is way better than the Leafs. Nobody. There's nobody in the whole division that's way better than them. Boston might be the best team in the division, but like you look at their defense, and I, they've they've been struggling a little bit, but they've got good goaltending, and they've got that great first line, and I think Boston might. I I know where the standings are. I know there's probably no Habs fans on earth that would ever listen to this podcast because of because of what we talk about and everything. And this is for Leafs diehards, but I don't think the Habs, I mean, I know their record's better, but I don't think they're way, way better. They're just, they're way, way better if Carey Price is unbelievable. And he's been a little bit less than unbelievable lately. I don't like Ottawa's team. I think the Leafs are better than Ottawa. The wild cards are what happens in Tampa and what happens in Florida for me. I don't think Buffalo is a factor. I don't think Detroit's a factor. Um, am I missing somebody in that division? I think that's everybody. So I think they can be better than Ottawa. Yeah, I mean, I, they have a very, very legitimate chance. And I look at the Metro, and the Flyers have lost four in a row, and they're kind of starting to sag. You know, maybe there's going to be four Atlantic teams in there, and then which four are you going to pick ahead of the Leafs? Well, so I think in the Atlantic, I think I like Tampa, I like Boston, and I like uh, Montreal. Not as better, but I think that, like, I think they have a better chance. Like Tampa's, like you mentioned, is the big wild card because they've had so many injuries and like, who knows what's going to happen. Like maybe it's just a year where everyone's hurt and they miss. Hmm. I think it's like between 40 and 50%. The the other thing is like, we're doing this when they've won five in a row. So would you have said the same thing when they were losing and like they were losing games in weird ways, despite playing pretty well. And we've even seen during the five game win streak and it could be six you know, depending on what happens in Washington, where they have given up leads and won. And basically the opposite was happening earlier in the year where they were giving up leads and losing. The other thing is like, Frederick Anderson is not going to be 940 the rest of the way. And he's been 940 for like two months. At some point that will come down. And the other thing is we have not seen a significant injury, let alone two, let alone three, like what's happened in Tampa. So I don't know, like it can, it, I don't know, like 35 to 50%. Do you think that's, you had a 52? I don't know. I, I'm going to say, I don't know. I hate predictions. So I don't know. You keep, you sway me. You created the whole idea for this podcast. You created this as the 2017 Let's Do Predictions podcast. So we're sitting here and it's been like 40 minutes or whatever it's been, 32 minutes of us making predictions. And then now you're saying you hate predictions. Uh, I'm not going to sway you. I think that they're they're right in there. Um, I think the point you make about injuries is a great one because it really depends on who gets injured. They're not well positioned. The Marlies have not had a good year. They don't have a ton of depth down there. Uh, you know, if you have a big forward 
that goes down, it's going to hurt you offensively. Um, if you have a big defenseman go down, like what if Morgan Riley misses 15 games? I mean, what, I don't think they can recover from that. What if Anderson misses 10 games? I don't think they can recover from that. So they don't quite have the depth that I think the organization wants to have long-term right now. So any kind of injury could be devastating. Well, so let's say if Riley gets hurt, if Gardner gets hurt, and, and the thing is like, maybe youth is on their side that way. Like, the, I don't know, maybe some, like you look in Tampa, like some of those are, they're older guys. And they're so young. Who would be the guy, though? I think it would be these would be the cogs that would really hurt them injury wise. Like you said, Anderson, Riley, Gardner, Matthews, obviously, Kadri, Marner. Uh, like I think any, but it would have to be more than one. Like I don't think outside of Anderson or Matthews and Riley, would you include Gardner in that mix? Like wh- who are the guys that if that domino would were to fall, it would really, really hurt their chances. Well, if if they lose one of Zaitsev, Riley, or Gardner, what do their D pairs look like? Like it's all of a sudden it's going to be a disaster. You're going to be Marincin's hurt right now. You're going to be putting Corrado in. He's played one game all year, and now he's on a conditioning stint. And we're not going to go down the Corrado path because I saw some people on I think it was Reddit or something were getting all they were getting all, or maybe it was the comments section on the podcast. They were getting all angry about that we were talking all this time about Corrado, so we won't do it. But that's, I know they like some of the defensemen with the Marlies. I know that they're happy with, I think, Dermot, I think it's who they're, and Valiev. They like the way that they've played. But you, like, if you lose a Zaitsev and you put a Valiev in there or whatever, I mean, that's going to be a pretty big drop off. Well, because we would acknowledge their depth on D is not great. Like, they have three pretty good D, and Carrick's, and we don't know what he is, but. So I will say no. And I don't think that's a, that's a slight on them, and I don't think that's a slight on their season. I didn't expect them to make the playoffs. I don't think you did either at the beginning of the year. I think it's important, like you, you take a step back from where they are right now, and they're in a really good stretch. And like you said, they're they're not really playing great teams or haven't played great teams, which isn't their fault. You beat who you play, uh, but I say no, and you're going to say yes. Okay. I was just going to say though, like. Two weeks ago, I was saying this team's better than their record. Like, that they deserve... I think I was saying they were a 90, 90, a little over 90-point team two weeks ago. So this hot stretch isn't what has changed my mind. It's just made it a little bit more likely because now they finally got some of those wins under their belt. They're probably going to be in that 88 to 95-point range. And then it's... I mean, it's kind of like, do you win your shootouts and stuff like that that decides whether or not a team like this makes the playoffs? So, And do you get injured? And does Anderson regress? I mean, Anderson is going to regress. I just, especially on the penalty kill. I mean, I think part of the problem we've been seeing with the penalty kill is they had such great save percentage on there for a long time, and that's gone the other way. So there there are a couple indicators, but I think there are indicators that they can be better as well. I mean, I think that the power play can be better. I think their shooting percentage can probably come up a little bit. They're only like ninth or something, and they've got a lot of really talented guys. Their possession has been much better the last 15 games. If they do that over a longer stretch of games, they're going to continue to get more points. So there are some things that I think can get even better than than they have been through the first 36 games. Yeah, and to, like a, to credit Babcock, like the foundations of basically the key things you look at are all good. Their special teams are good. Possession's good. They have some nights given up a lot of chances. And Anderson's been really good. Like he had, what was it, 40 some odd saves. And granted, I think it was against Colorado and Colorado's not good, but I think it's going to be close. Like I think they have a legitimate shot and I did not think 
it would be, I didn't think they'd be this far along. And I think that's probably the big surprise of the year. Is there anything else you want to mention before we go? Well, I, we should just talk about the Centennial Classic and what we thought about it and the atmosphere. And um, it was pretty cool. You know, I there was a lot of, um, especially being the media, we kind of get in that bubble a little bit where we're only talking to other media guys and we're only hanging around other media guys. I think there was some cynicism about the event because some guys have covered a lot of them. Some guys have covered seven or eight. I, I, I heard, I read that this is the 20th outdoor game that the NHL has done. That is a lot. I've only been to two. I've been to the one at the big house and I've been to this one. Uh, this wasn't the big house. The big house is a game I will never forget for the rest of my life. It was insane. There was like a foot of snow. There were like injured people on these little golf cart ambulances being like driven around the stadium. And like people were, that was like, um, it, 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 <laughs> Jonas said it's like hell. Yeah. It, it was like some endurance test. It was like, um, the Revenant or or whatever. Like it was, it was like a test of your will being at that game. Like people were, the lineups for the washroom were like 30, 40 people long and there were people urinating in the stairwells. And like, it was, it was chaos. I was so happy when I got, I wanted to walk around the whole stadium and like stand in the stands and do all the stuff just to have some stuff for my story. And I did that for about 25 minutes and I was so happy to get on that elevator to go to the press box. And the press box, there was like mu- nice music and there was like chicken skewers and we were sitting behind glass and all this insanity was happening in front. Like that was like an unbelievable sporting moment. The Centennial Classic wasn't that, but, and I don't know if we necessarily got it very well in the media, but talking to fans yesterday about the Centennial Classics, a lot of them were saying that's the best hockey game experience they've ever been to. There were people on Twitter comparing it, saying it's their favorite sporting event they've ever attended. Uh, and these are people that have been to the Super Bowl. So people really, really had a good time. I only heard from, I think, one or two people that didn't like it. And I heard from a hundred or so that did. So good on the NHL and the Leafs for doing it. And I actually think that they should do this more often. I think that they should have an outdoor game in Toronto every two or three years. If they do that, they should lower the prices because like who can I don't think it's fair that that a normal I don't know like I don't want to say a normal family because who who knows what people's finances are but the the prices were ridiculous the, the cheapest seat I think was what was it 130 or something or 160 like that's too much that's not how is a family of four supposed to go to that but two things that worked in the favor it wasn't freezing it was a nice day like a nice winter day the winter classic in Ann Arbor it was freezing. It was so cold. It took forever to get there. I remember my girlfriend sending me a picture. She was in the stand. She went with a couple friends. She sent me a picture during the game of a fan in front of her with an icicle like dripping from his nose. Like he just I don't know why he didn't get rid of it, but that's how cold it was. This one was perfect. The game itself for 40 minutes wasn't good, but the third period was just insane, and it fit so many perfect storylines of what the Leaf Seasons is. And that Matthews scores the overtime winner in the fashion that he does, his celebration afterwards. It was just like perfect. What do you want to say? I have breaking news. Austin Matthews has been named the NHL's Rookie of the Month for December. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's that's all for the predictions. I don't know that we'll ever do a prediction show again because I don't like predictions. Because how are you supposed to know? That's what to me is stupid. I guess that's why it's a prediction. You don't know. I don't know. I like more certainty. But it's just kind of us like thinking through the idea of things like predicting what the goalie save percentage is going to be is like, that's like insane. That's like if I flip a coin here like six times, what how many times is it going to be heads and us trying to predict that. But but things like them making the playoffs, 
Uh, that's that's almost a coin flip too. I think we'll see. They need to keep. I think they need to keep banking points against bad teams. They really do. They got Washington tonight. That's why we didn't talk about the Capitals game. If you're listening to this after that game, uh, we're recording um, five hours before they play Washington. That's a very good team. They've played well against good teams some games, and they've played really poorly against good teams some games. But I think when they play bad teams, they've got to really put their foot down and really keep getting points in those games. Oh, Jonas is saying uh, we're done. Normally he closes this thing. All right, we're done. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle.